Y'all, I keep a little card in the front of my Bible. I have it here. It's, it's really a note card that we, we, we have uh, at church, you know, that we can write notes to people on and whatnot. But I keep one in my Bible, and it's kind of messy, but I've got, it, it, all it is is names. So I write names down. And uh, when I'm, I'm made aware of a, a prayer request or a challenge, a difficulty, a hardship someone is in, whether it's, you know, an email sent to me or I, you come up and talk to me after whatever, I, I write it down um, uh, to, to spark me to, to pray. And, you know, I can't pray for every, you know, you, when you have a list like this, and some of these are scratched out, you know, because things happen, I scratch it out and I add names. Um, I, I struggle sometimes to pray specifically for everybody on there. And this is, uh, gosh, this is several months back, you know, Lisa and I were kind of on a, on a call to midwife binge, and I always love it when they would gather in the evenings, and they would do their, I don't know how to pronounce it, compline or complain or whatever, but it's the evening prayers, and, you know, they would just say, Lord, have mercy and grace upon, and they would just name these things, and so I said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, and so, you know, when I go through my list, I mean, there are times when I read a name, I know it just, it just comes, I'm not, a, I don't have a good memory, but it comes back, this is what they're facing, and and sometimes I will pray that, but mostly I'm just going on a regular basis. This is all through the week. I'll just, I'll, I'll say, Lord, have mercy and grace upon. And I'll go through their names. And they're just, it's, it's like a reminder to me, you all, that nobody is going through this life without sorrow, without loss, without pain, without challenge, without hurt. Um, we all have, you know, longings and desires that, that are thwarted or pain and sorrows that are, crushing us, quite frankly, whether you're online or in this room, can't escape it. Well, I feel the weight of that. And then this morning, we're actually in a passage and the songs we sang were so appropriate to our passage because we find ourselves in a portion of scripture uh, that is about joy. It's about joy. We're in the upper room discourse. Um, and Jesus speaks here of a joy that, that can never be removed. He speaks of a joy that's whole. He would say it's a, it's a joy that's full. And so you go, well, Lloyd, why do you start this message with this card? And, and we're going to be speaking of joy. And the reason is because as we're going to discover walking through our text today, you all, uh, this and joy are actually inseparable. There's a misconception about joy that Jesus clarifies for us today, and the misconception can actually rob us of joy. If I, if I put it in this, try and put it in the simplest forms, there is, a, there is a, a worldly joy, and what I mean by that is simply joy as defined by the world around us. There's, there's that joy. And then there is a biblical joy that we understand defined by the scriptures and in very particular ways in our text today by Jesus. If you're pursuing, if your joy is going to be a worldly joy, that the way I would describe this is it, there is a worldly joy and it's like a puddle after a rain. It's there. It's a puddle. But in time it's gone. It evaporates. We go after what Jesus calls joy, then the best I could think of is this, that the joy of Jesus is like an ocean. It's there, always there. It's mysterious and it's deep. And really it's deeper than anyone would ever comprehend 
or grasp this side of heaven. Live for the joy of the world and your hope will perish in time. Live for the second joy as Jesus defines it and there is genuine joy even as your world is falling apart. If you're not there yet, turn your Bibles to John's Gospel. We're in John chapter 16, continuing the uh, upper room discourse, Jesus with his closest disciples, sharing his final, his last words. Rob picked up verses eight through 15 of chapter 16 last week there. It spoke of how the spirit is at work in the world. And you'll remember Rob talked us and walked us through how the spirit is convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I love the way Rob unpacked that because when you think of convict, it, it doesn't carry exactly what the, the biblical word in here is meaning. And he said, it, it means that the spirit is always proving what is incorrect or wrong with the wisdom and values of the world by explaining what's always true of Jesus. This is what the Spirit is doing in the world. That same idea, I really think, continues, of course, in our text today. Um, and he's, issue, he's talking about the, the issue of, of joy. By the way, next week, we finish chapter 16, and he talks about the issue of peace. Rob will unpack that. I, I mean it, you don't want to miss that. Um, we're in chapter 16. We'll take verses 16 to 24. If, you, if you've ever found yourself, and I have for sure, found yourself reading the Bible and, and, and you, you know, even the red letters of Jesus's words and just kind of thought, I don't know what he means. I'm not sure what Jesus is saying here. This doesn't make sense to me. We're in such good company because those who literally walked with him, looked him in the eye, listened to him, <laughs> They felt the same way. And the passage breaks out in two ways. We're gonna take it in two sections. The first one is really this, and I call it a state of confusion and fear. This is how it begins, a state of confusion and fear. It's verses 16 through 19. Follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me and because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Now I'm smiling because you know, when you read this, and, and I'm smiling because someone else sees it as well. Frederick Bruner writes of this passage, he says, at first hearing, this is the longest and unintentionally, but literally, literally almost the most amusing passage in the gospel repeating the same two quizzical sentences over and over and over again. Do you not feel it when he's saying it? It's like a little while and you will not. In a little while you will. And then they, they did again. It's like, we got it. We got it. A little while. But then Jesus says it before answering. He repeats it. You've got to keep in mind, what, what is this describing? 
I think it helps us to keep in mind that prior to the cross, let's just imagine a timeline, and then there's the cross of Christ, and then, you know, we're living in this time on this side of the cross. Prior to the cross, there was no category in their minds, disciples' minds, for what Jesus meant when he, st- he spoke to them of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we know they knew it. We know he actually said these words to them. Go to the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we read there three, in three different occasions in those gospels, he said to them, the son of man must suffer many things, be killed, and after three days rise again. He said it more than once to them. We know in John's gospel, the one we're studying right now, he said back at, 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 when, when Mary anointed his feet with this, you know, abundance of pure nard, the perfume, he said, leave her alone, because it upset the disciples, he said, leave her alone, that she may, she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now we read that, y'all, and you know, we have the advantage of being on this side of the cross, and we go, hello, he's talking about he's going to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? On this side of the cross, they, they can comprehend a Messiah that will die on a Roman cross? You know, they had no kind of, it'd be like, like telling the pilgrims that land at, at Plymouth Rock, you know, hey, by the way, some of your relatives are going to come over and they're going to come over on this metal tube with wings like a bird. They're not going to come over on the sea. They're going to come through the sky and they go, I don't know what you're talking about. Whatever, you know. Though they can't see it now, what is about to happen is contained in that little phrase. It's verse 17. He says, because... I am going to the Father. Now, that phrase was stated all the way back in chapter, in verse 10. Rob covered it last week. He says, because, verse 10, because I go to the Father. What do you mean, because I go to the Father? Well, Rob said it. He's going to the Father, and that entails his death and his burial and his resurrection and ascension. This is what going to the, this is how I'm going to the Father, but it'll be through these things. Within the next 24 hours, y'all, he's, he's, he's in a tomb dead. Within 24 hours of him saying this, he, he's, you talk about gone. So he's buried and in a tomb. Do they see him? It's not a trick question. It's like, boy, that's a little while. Boy, and we see it in a little while. They're not going to see him because he's going to be dead in the tomb. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, in a little while, you'll see me. What's that? Not a trick question. How is it they see him in a little bit more while? Just say it. Resurrection. Yes. So he rises from the grave and go, oh, okay. So, so now you and I can look at it and go, okay, in a little while, these awful things are going to happen. He's going to be killed. He's going to be put in the grave. I'm going to see him. But then it's this little bit, this little bit more while, he's going to rise from the grave and they're going to see him. And that's what scholars understand this little while, little while to be. The primary focus is this little while right here, right here at the cross. Does this make sense? Now there's a secondary, I do think, and I won't go into this, but I think there's a secondary way to apply it. And that would be, he's going to ascend to the father. Okay. So, so that happens. He ascends to the father, read the book of Acts, all the story and history right up to right now. And we know that he promises he's coming back again one day. And so I do think the little while can also be understood in that he ascends and you and I don't see him today, right? Don't see, but a little while and you go, well, this is a long time, but hey, they thought he was coming right back in a little while that one day he will return again and we will see him. So that's secondary. But our focus in this passage is right here around the events of the cross. 
want us to grasp that Jesus is describing, here's where the focus goes in our, in our passage, what the disciples will experience in his absence, okay? He's gonna be absent here for these moments. And what his absence will secure for them. It's like, I gotta go, but what I'm gonna get when I go, I'm gonna give to you is unbelievable. Does this make sense? It's, it, it's focused on what he gains by his absence and what they gain. And quite frankly, it's what they most desperately need. And it's exactly what you and I most desperately need. I'm gonna pause here for this because I want you to think about this. Because they're not getting it. <laughs> this is foggy. Jesus is saying stuff. We gotta trust him, but I don't know if I can because that makes sense. I, I wanna say to us, because it was true for the disciples, when Jesus requires us to trust his word when it doesn't make sense, we can be assured that his word and actions toward us are always for our good. This doesn't look like it's gonna be good. And there's a way in which it's not. I don't wanna make light of that. But we can trust that it's always for our good. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. A state of you know, fear and confusion <laughs> unfolds into this second part. It's verses 20 to 24. And I'm gonna say this is a state of sorrow and joy. A state of sorrow and joy. Joy. Let's finish this particular section beginning in verse 20. Truly, truly, by the way, that means really, really pay attention. You know, obviously we need to pay attention to all he says, but he's emphasizing here. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. When she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. By the way, he's referring there to like questions you have about things. They always, you know, ask him. He's saying, no, you're going to be asking the Father in my name. I won't be going so deep into that this morning. In that day, you, you will ask me nothing, nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father now, okay, in my name, he will give it to you. And we've covered that a little bit in the past. Rob will catch that more next week in his name. He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I want us to think about this a little differently this morning. I'll put this on the screen. Um, I want you to... I want you to kind of, as he walks through this, I want you to see it as um, 
let's just call it a ledger with a little while, this is maybe little while A, and then little while, we call that little while B, okay? And, and as we walk through the passage, we note that there's this first little while. He says, a little while, you're not going to see me. And what will they experience in that little while? Well, the text says that you are going to weep, you're going to lament, and you are going to have sorrow. You know what? I, it's like I call this the trinity of despair. could add to this there in in this is captured you know mourning there is anguish uh, there is in this deep sadness there is real pain in a little while this is going to hit you and he says and then another little while and he says it three times he says you're going to have joy and he says, you're going to have joy again. Then he says, you're going to rejoice. Same idea. And he says, you're going to have joy. <laughs> no one take it away from you. And then he says, it's, it's going to be, it's actually going to be joy made full. Around this, and the idea is here is really these words, you have gladness. And this joy is going to be, as he says, complete. The idea is that it's whole. The idea actually is that it is overwhelming. The, the disciples, in a little while, you're going to experience the left side of this column. We already said this because he'll be crucified. Um, in a little while, literally in this story, just within hours, they're going to walk across the Kidron Valley and he's going to be arrested. And you know what they're going to do? We know what they're going to do. They're going to hide. They're going to run. They're going to desert him. Jesus told them they would do that. They're terrified. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is going down. Jump ship. I I'm not making fun of them. I'm going, this is what they do. It's what I would have done. Okay, we thought this was it, but it's not it. They're going down, he's going down. Hopefully I can save my own life. And they run, they hide. And they do feel, they weep, lament, sorrow, mourning, anguish, sadness, and pain. Now, while this is going on, you notice verse 20, it says, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Is this not, is this not Passion Week? See, the world, under the ruler of the world, Satan, it's like, we got him, right? So they're, they're rejoicing. They're, they're, they're happy, right? We've got him. We're going to eliminate him and get rid of all this mess that he keeps talking and messing up. They don't, they're not filled with mourning, anguish, sadness, and pain. They're, they're glad. And then, okay, don't miss this. So th this happens. And then... And then what happens that turns their mourning into joy? It's not a trick question. What happens historically? He rises from the grave, 
Are y'all with me on this? So the little whiles, the little whiles are a little while, this is gonna happen, you're not gonna see me, he's in a tomb, you can't see him. A little while later, he's, he's up, he's out of the grave, resurrected, they see him. And by the way, it's a big deal, but he says, I see you. It's a lot even within that phrase. And so in our ledger, what's the difference between the, the left side and the right side? I'll say it another way. What is it that makes the difference between the left side and the right side? You know the answer. And actually, I know this is kind of cheesy a little bit, but you actually can see it on the screen. You see it, don't you? What is it? Yeah, yeah, I did this on purpose, you know, because I want us to understand this. Do you understand the difference between the, these two is the cross of Christ. That, this moment in time is this most significant little while in the universe, in the history of time. In that moment, in the cross, what happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens, and we, well, I've told you what happens, but for us, our sins are paid for. Christ secures our righteousness, which has got to be his, and we get it when we believe. And Christ, having no sin of his own, rises from that grave. Therefore, those of us who are in Christ, death can't hold us either. And we will never be separated from Father. You, I mean, everything's there. Everything's there. Now, I want to add a little bit to this to give us some biblical and historical context. When the, when the Bible looks at history and time, it looks at it in uh, two ages. And there is what, you'll read this in your Bible. There is back here at creation, okay, at creation, God created, and there is time starts happening. But there's gonna come a time when time as we know it is no more. And they, they, they called it this age, okay? Where are we living right now in this age? This is this age. Now there, there's coming a time when Christ is gonna return, okay? And what he will do here is this age is over, but he will inaugurate an age, listen, that will have no end. And this is called the age to come. Everybody with me on that? So he'll, he'll, that time will change here and, and, and there will be a demarcation. Jesus, I, I think in this text, and this is why I'm, I'm using this to draw it because I just want you to hopefully see it visually at some level. Jesus is telling the disciples and I, I believe he's telling us today that biblical joy, biblical joy in this age this is so careful. I want you to be careful here. Oh my gosh. I just said, I want to be so careful here. And <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's like, it all just disappeared. Joe, it's gone. <laughs> Every time something goes wrong, we say Joe, don't we? I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a habit. Look, I'll show it. I want to show it this way. I, I, oh, it, it'll still, it'll still go. 
I can still show you. You have all this on this side. You have all this on this side. You have the cross. What I'm trying to say to you is this, huh? Here's what's exciting. Whoa! I'm not even going to touch it. There's this age. Christ comes. There's the age to come. Biblical joy in this age, stay with me, is everything on the left and the right together. You can see that in your mind's eye. Biblical joy in this age that we live in is everything on the left, sorrow, sadness, lament, mourning, pain, loss, and everything on the right, joy, joy, rejoicing, joy, joy made full, overflowing. Are you guys tracking with me? You put a box around that, that's biblical joy. It's both in this age. And that's why I say worldly joy, you see, worldly, oh, you got, He's magic up there. <laughs> Worldly joy wants to just take the left, right? Take the, take the left side out and say, no, it, this, this life is all about the right. No, no, no. I put the cross in the middle for a reason. Because if we're gonna experience biblical joy in this life, it's got to rest in the cross of Christ. That's what brings these two together. And what we look forward to, why I wrote this age, the age to come on that slide, is that there's coming a day, it's not today. There's coming a day when Christ returns, everything on the left side of that cross is gone. And everything on the right side of that cross is ours, unhindered forever and ever and ever. This is really hard stuff. Like literally for me, and, and I thought about this last service as I was moving through this. And I, and, I'm, and, I, and I know what's on this card. You can't read it from where you are, but I know the names on this card. And I'm looking at some of the faces, first service. I'm looking at some of the faces on this card, second service. And it's easy for me to stand up here and say, you can have biblical joy in the midst of what's going on. And I say it because the Bible says it, but my gosh, I'm, I just feel this. It's like, it's easy for me to say, because my, name, my name's not on my list right now. But I know yours is. but I believe this is exactly what Jesus is telling us. You know, if, 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 if all the, the, the needs on this list were, were measured in weight, like they weighed something, I wouldn't be able to lift this. It's too much, I, I couldn't lift it. And yet in it, Jesus says, there's real joy. If you've ever been around someone who's suffering tremendously, 
and they tell you, I have joy, you know it. You know it. And it's supernatural. It's beyond the circumstances. It's the cross of Christ at the center of their life in a way that I hope I have when I'm facing some of the difficulties that life will bring. That, that even, even in death, the worst, there's, there's joy. Why? Because of the cross of Christ and he rose. Let me give you three observations if I can. I'll hit them quickly just to ponder if you'll consider. Number one, biblical joy does not replace sorrow. It transcends and transforms it. Biblical joy does not replace sorrow. It transcends and transforms it. We see this most clearly in an example Jesus gives. Think about the text itself. When a woman is giving birth, at the hour of her giving birth, she, there's tremendous pain, anguish, hurt. I mean, real, okay? Then when that baby breathes its first breath, you know, wah, you know, and, and you go, it's a healthy baby. It's, it, it's like she's still in pain, right? But holds the child in her arms and there's a joy that lifts her beyond, transcends the actual, the, the pain of that birth, she sees the pain she was in and still is in, in a different light. It's like things change, okay? Now, this is so important. The very thing that caused the pain, the baby, is the very thing that transcends the pain. You see, it's not like, oh, pain, pain, pain. This thing's causing pain. You get rid of the thing causing pain, and now it's all good. You see, this is so care. Jesus, Jesus, you know, I may use an illustration that doesn't, it's not quite right. Jesus never does. The baby that causes the pain is the same thing that brings the joy and transcends the pain. Which takes me to the second point. Biblical joy finds its source and source and sustenance in the cross. In the cross. That's that's it, I, I just said it. It's the cross that caused their pain, and it's the cross that brings their joy. And the same is true for us. Same is true for us. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 2, he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Wait a minute, Paul, you wrote a lot of stuff. And, and, and he did. He's speaking in hyperbole. It's a, it's a, it's a useful literary tool. He's not lying He's emphasizing the importance of the cross to everything else he writes. Centered on the work of Jesus and the cross. Here's a quote from William Temple. I'm gonna put it on the screen because it's a little longer, but I think it's so good. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, he writes this. It is not only that joy will take the place of sorrow, but the sorrow itself becomes the joy. The cross is not for Christians a stumbling block, which the resurrection has removed. It is not a defeat of which the effect has been canceled by the subsequent victory. It is itself the triumph. What was the devil's worst has become God's best. Amazing. In this way, let me say this, and this could be another point, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just gonna state this, that the measure of joy 
is not how much we have. Like this is, this is foreign to scripture. How much joy, it's not how much joy we have. The measure of joy is always on what basis joy? On what basis joy? And if the basis is the cross of Christ, do you see now why he could say, listen, that'll never be taken from you. And that will be fullness and wholeness of joy. Third thing, joy is not simply an emotion or an attitude, but a person. Not simply an emotion or an attitude, but a person. Jesus describes the joy he provides as that which can never be taken away. It's, it's joy made full. I want you to keep the context of the upper room in your mind. What is he talking about all the way through the upper room? And I talked about it two weeks ago, five times. He mentions the spirit, the spirit, the spirit in you. He's already said this. We talked about this two weeks ago. He said, it's to your advantage that I go. Same thing, I'm leaving you for a while. And you go, no, no, no. And he goes, no, it's to your advantage that I go. I go. Passion week, crucifixion, resurrection. I send the Holy Spirit. So we keep this in mind as we, as we hold our understanding of the passage. And I'm saying it's not simply, joy is not an, just, just an emotion or an attitude, but a, but a person in this way. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. Lindsay said it earlier when she, when she talked about we depend upon the Spirit to live the Christian life. He's in us. And we know this, the Spirit in us is who in us? Say it, who's in us by the Spirit? It's Jesus. It's Jesus in us by the Spirit. When Paul speaks of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he he talks about what, what the Spirit produces in us in Galatians 3 or Galatians 5, 22 to 23. You know the whole list, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not gonna read it all. I just wanna read the first two because the first is the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the second one is, it's joy. It's joy. The Spirit producing joy. The person of Christ in us. I mentioned the weight of this card. And the weight of your life and your burden, even now, your challenge, your hardship, it's real. Sorrow, sadness, lament, it's real. And the cross is real. And in the cross, there is joy, real joy, lasting joy. It's gonna give you a moment. It's not a weighty message. It's, it's heavy on me even in teaching it. I want you to look up at the screen. I'm just gonna put those three points and give you a moment to ponder them and invite you to have a conversation with God in this moment. How would God have you apply this? What's, what has God said to you that goes beyond informing you, right? Oh, I know that now, to I trust that now, God. May I live it. I want you to interact and just talk to God and read those through and listen to the voice of the Spirit. How would he have you apply our text today? Would you do that now? Everybody take, everybody take a deep breath. Make a little, make a transition here. What a rich passage, so much. Uh, this day, 
uh, speaking to the church family now, we said today is uh, Reveal Sunday. And what, what, th- what that means is revealing where we are in our follow campaign, you know, celebrating what God has done and he is, he is doing. And, and I just want to remind you, well, what, what is this follow campaign? Well, you know, we've had these available for weeks and we've walked through this uh, over a series of messages. It is us believing, sensing that the Spirit of God was leading us, all of us, to resolve these two facility issues. And that would be fundamentally here at Brentwood, you know, a a fellowship hall between the connection of these two buildings is the bottom line where we can gather. Why? Because part of our mission is becoming a community of faith. and, And that's hard as the facilities exist this day and as they have over the last 20. So it's that and the expansion in here we wanna do. But it's also the challenge for our Franklin campus, you all, where our, bo- our body is gathered there in least space. And we, we, the Lord, things have just unfolded and we sell this land, we're able to basically do a land swap. We got a piece of land down there and we wanna put a campus there that will outlive all of us, uh, that will not live under the threat of a lease agreement, et cetera. And so that, those are the two facility challenges. We reminded you that facility facilitates mission. And that's what this is about. Look, if you've been at fellowship for a while, you, we haven't done this in 20 something years because building buildings is not our main thing. It's following Jesus and helping others to do, this, to, to do the same. Is at the heart of that. Um, and it matters because it serves our mission. So where are we? Well, let me tell you. Uh, you know, we started, uh, our giving started at the, at the first of the month. And uh, when we had that first Sunday, uh, there were 257 families that gave and that number was, was 6 million. Uh, as of, this is just last night, <laughs> we're texting each other going, okay, where's this? And just last night, we were just, un- we, were at, we were at 11.9. As of today, we're at $12 million going toward this. Now, here's the thing. You know, I, I, you need to keep this in perspective. It, it is, the whole project is how much? I want to know if you know. The whole project is how? 30 million. I mean, that's, I, I, I go, that's, that's nuts. Well, it's 30 million, right? But we said, we've got 15 that we've already given. So this follow campaign is, let's get the other 15. So when you look at this, hear this. There's 20 7 million for us to move forward with. And I want you to know this, we are moving absolutely forward, okay? We're not, I mean, because it's, how could we not in a sense? Yeah, the Lord is so gracious to us and and we will move forward, you all. as of, to, as of today, there's uh, 541 families have given. You know, our goal was 700. There's some here in the room, I think, that maybe haven't given yet. Over time, I, I hope that gets to 700 because if this is your home, you want to participate. So there will, be, there will be money that comes in. But listen, at, at 12 million right now, 27 million, we're moving forward. There will be a, a building between these, th- these two things. We absolutely are moving forward with putting a campus on Lewisburg Pike if all those plans go through. And we go forward, y'all, I'm, I mean this, with deep, deep gratitude. Thank you for giving. Thank you for giving sacrificially, generously. Um, you may remember, this was back in 2008, we were in the book of Nehemiah. Is anybody here in the book of Nehemiah? a number. 
it, it really is a fascinating book in that the promise of God is hanging by a thread that the Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. Because the northern tribes are gone, the southern tribes are in uh, exile, and it's important to have a place to meet God. And in those days, there was one address, only one address you could meet God at. Where was it? The city. What was the city? The only place you could meet God. In what city? Boy, y'all are tentative, very tentative on that. Jerusalem, city of peace. And the walls were down. And this guy, Nehemiah, hears and he says, I want to rebuild the walls. And this is what's so beautiful. The whole book begins in prayer, his prayer. He calls out to God. He acknowledges God as the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. And y'all, this is how we began in prayer. You know, on October, you know, back on September 10th, we began to sign up for the text devotion. Every day that text devotion had us praying, had us on our knees, dependent upon the spirit to lead. And we trust that he has. Nehemiah, I'm gonna tell you something. He wasn't a wall builder. What was he? What was he? Did anybody know? If nobody wants to answer these things, I'm afraid I'm gonna say the wrong thing. He was a cupbearer. And I know many of you knew that, but he was a cupbearer. He's the guy that drinks the stuff before the king does so the king doesn't die. I mean, that stuff is real. You know, as we move forward, we're not facility builders. But we really trust that God has called us to this. When he found himself before King Artaxerxes, this is, again, this is all in the first chapter. It's like, he's the cupbearer. The king says, why are you so sad? And he says, walls are down. And this pagan king says, what do you need? <laughs> and it says, Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, I prayed. And then he spoke and he said, here's everything I need. And what does the king do? Here you go. You got it all. This is our God. This is our faithful God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. We're going to sing because we want to respond appropriately to God's great provision for us in this. There was a lot ahead of Nehemiah. I'm telling you, the story gets hard. It's, it's a difficult path. There's a lot ahead of us that'll be challenging. But we are so confident in God's steadfast love and covenant faithfulness. This is what it's all based upon. God is faithful. And so we go forward. I'm telling you, we're going forward prayerfully, dependently, and expectantly, expectantly, just is Nehemiah. Let's stand together. Y'all, a day of deep gratitude for God's faithfulness. He is the God who, we're gonna say, who keeps his promises, okay? He's our provision in all things. And indeed, he will see us all the way through, not just to the end of this campaign season when the buildings are there. He sees us through to the end of the age. <laughs> into the age to come. And in this, we sing with great joy.